And discussion of truth. This is Ian Hamilton Trottier. I'm here every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is now 6:12 with 22 seconds p.m. Eastern Standard. We just finished with Neil McCabe, communication manager for Project Veritas, stepping in for founder uh, James O'Keefe. Uh, we will likely be rescheduling James at a later date. Uh, conflict uh, today, uh, so we'll see if we can get that uh, rescheduled. But regardless, we uh, will be pleased uh, to extend invitation uh, for Neil to rejoin at uh, the date. Should that be applicable? Folks, uh, next week we've got uh, another doubleheader now. Uh, 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 Helen Bynisky, uh joined us last week and... Uh, and uh, even though I had given her the 415 slot, um, which we didn't have today, uh, but uh, she confused and posted uh, that she'd be joining at 5 o'clock slot. Now, um, 5 o'clock Wednesdays every week, winwood1.com, stopmassmedia.com, etrotier.com, uh, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R. Um, I'm here, live. And since the COVID-19 breakout uh, pandemic um, has, has has happened. Uh, 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 the discussion of truth has been a uh, uh, has been receiving multiple guests uh, and uh, having a double and triple header has been commonplace now for over a couple months. So not officially changing the hour to four p.m. Eastern Standard. Um, still staying at that five p.m. Standard uh, Eastern Standard time slot. Uh, you can find me here. Uh, but uh, certainly follow me on Instagram and Twitter, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R, to verify if uh, if that four slot will be filled, four o'clock slot will be fill, filled or not, and, and even if that six o'clock slot will be filled. Um, that six o'clock slot today, momentarily waiting, standing by, is uh, Seth Dillon. And he is the editor uh, of uh, Babylonian B. Based out of uh, Jupiter, Florida. Uh, it happens to be a Christian news site satire. Uh, I do not take sides politically or religiously on this program, uh, but uh, certainly religion religion is a is is an important asset of many people's lives, uh, as are political parties. Uh, but uh, but I, I find there to be far too much corruption. In uh, in, the, in the politics to uh, to be taking any 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 side, uh, in my opinion, and at least to be, at least to be discussing it. Uh, now, nineteen what was it thirty two? This is interesting because uh, because this is actual fact. Um, Henry uh, Luce, L U C E, uh, one of the founders uh, founders of uh, Time Magazine. Actually, uh, this was uh, 1939. Uh, Adolf Hitler uh, was Time's Man of the Year. Does that astonish you? Does that blow you away? Okay. Um, and uh, Lucy is a Yale grad. And certainly per Dr. Sutton, Anthony Sutton out of Stanford, we have, uh, we have gone into um, the organization's fraternal uh, out of Yale that are of question. Um, so anyway, so next week, Dr. Bandy Lee will be joining us. Uh, it should be for a second time, uh, technically third time, to be discussing a dangerous case of Donald Trump. 
her book. Um, she is a psychiatrist by trade, um, and uh, we follow following that hour up with uh, Gerald Posner. And that uh, will be a four o'clock start. Um, Gerald Posner is a three-time New York Times bestselling author, former Wall Street journey, uh, journal, uh, uh, former Wall Street attorney, um, and uh, UC Hastings uh, JD. Uh, he's got uh, he practices in both uh, New York and DC, having passed the, both those bars, um, uh, to my understanding. And he'll be addressing pharma. Uh, greed, lies, and the poisoning of America. Okay, uh, bringing on Seth Dillon uh, right now uh, without uh, without any further ado. Seth, can you hear me? I can. Fantastic. Welcome to Discussion of Truth. Ian Trottier here. Uh, uh, for listeners, uh, uh, Seth, you are the uh, the owner and editor, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, of the news publication Babylon, Babylon B. Uh, owner and CEO. We have an editor-in-chief, uh, Kyle Mann. So I'm not, I'm not handling most of the content. I'm, I pretty much run the, the business side of things. Fantastic. Uh, you've yeah. also... Uh, you've also appeared on on various news outlets, and that that includes uh, Fox News. Talk a little more about that, if you would. Yeah, we've had to um, we've made it, we've been invited on a couple of different shows. Um, uh, Shannon Shannon Bream's show and Tucker Carlson and Greg Gutfeld uh, a, a number of times, simply because we've been in the in the news cycle a few times with some um, you know some censorship issues. We okay. had. A little dust up with Snopes um, a couple years ago is when it all started. We had published a uh, an article about how CNN was putting the news in, in these industrial washing machines to spin it on a spin cycle before printing it, and it was just this silly, outrageous thing. And uh, at the time, Facebook was working with Snopes as a as a fact checking partner, and Snopes rated it false, and then Facebook threatened to deplatform us if we didn't stop putting out false information. And of course, this was a couple years ago, and and uh, and it was you know fake news and, and misinformation were becoming major issues in the news cycle. And so Facebook was trying to do something about that, take action. And so um, we were we were threatened with basically monetized and deplatformed because of putting out false stories. Of course, we're a satire site. That's what we do. We make up fake news, uh, but it's for entertainment purposes, not for the purpose of misleading people. So. Um, we had to fight back against that, and then we've also had some run-ins with some personalities over at CNN who've criticized us for basically pretending to be a satire site so we can get around these rules for disseminating false information on social networks, which is outrageous. We're a legitimate satire site. We're one of the biggest ones out there. So um, there's there's been a this predicate for censorship that that a couple of individuals out there have tried to build, and and so we've had to fight back pretty vocally against that. No, you're a Christian-based satire uh, publication. What uh, what drew your interest into? And 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 I believe you're you're Florida-based. Uh, what drew your interest uh, to purchase uh, Babylon B? Uh, well, I mean, it was at the time when I started talking to Adam. Adam Ford was the founder of the B. Uh, I started talking to him in early 2018. And the bee had just really taken off in the couple of years since he launched it back in 2016. He had grown to the point where he was getting millions of page views, had hundreds of thousands of fans and social media. 
and uh, and his articles were regularly going viral, and he was in the news, and and I just saw it as this kind of ascending ascendant property that uh, was really going somewhere. Yeah. And I reached out to him, just offering you know capital if he wanted it to to grow the business, and he was actually looking to exit and sell it, uh, largely because of his concerns about censorship and and issues with uh, big tech companies kind of. Uh, policing what can be on their platforms, and so he had concerns about the future of the Babylon Bee being so dependent on these on these uh, properties like Facebook and Twitter and Google for traffic and revenue. Um, and he wanted to get out, so he and I met and we talked a lot, and we actually had a lot of a ideological alignment. Uh, we're both Christians; we have a lot of the same values, and uh, and it and it looked like just a great opportunity for me to jump in. Where Adam saw a huge risk, I saw a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and so it was a good it was a good trade off for us to kind of switch places and and uh, for me to take the helm. So Seth, that's that brings up a really good uh, a, a segue here. Uh, we just finished with uh, Neil McCabe, who's communication manager at uh, Project Veritas. Uh, James O'Keefe was unavailable yeah. uh, today, um, so so Neil occupied that slot. But that was. That was something that we addressed with uh, with Neil was censorship. Uh, Project Veritas, of course, uh, per per the discussion with Neil, uh, they've got thirty uh, journalists, if you will, spread around the country. And once uh, this campaign uh, starts kicking off for the election coming up here, uh, they'll have hidden cameras and hidden mics uh, uh, following these uh, politicians. That's kind of the, the the goal, right? So, so one of my questions, of course, to, to Neil was, well, how do you uh, how do you feel, and how do you combat that censorship? And what I threw, what I threw out there, Seth, was uh, zero hedge. And uh, of course, uh, this is another thing we can get into: um, uh, is 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 the COVID nineteen and and this lockdown and, and the various uh, infringements that that uh, opinion maybe, uh, but but the difference in the way of life uh, because of this uh, because of this virus. Uh, with that said. There is zero hedge, and they were one of the the initial people to post uh, some of these job descriptions and hirings out of Wuhan that is associated directly associated to researching uh, what was you know, commonly known as the coronavirus and this strain COVID nineteen, and they were banned by Twitter. So, uh, so kind of take it from there and how you um, you know what you're facing. And, and where th this inceptor of Babylon B had started and said, hey, I want to get away from this because the, this kind of police state, internet police state, is, is in, in, infringing way too much on, on, on what's you know, these stories that are going viral. And then you saying, hey, well, wait a second, this is an opportunity, so you buy it. Uh, take it from there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a serious concern. Um, when, when I was talking with Tucker about it, you know, he asked me if um, – if I was concerned, if I was worried about the, the censorship and, and what it meant for us, for our future. And my response to him was that I'm not. And, and when I said I'm not, I didn't mean that I don't think it's a problem. Of course, it's, 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 it's a problem. But um, one of the reasons that I'm not deeply troubled by it or concerned about it is because when they make these efforts to um, stamp out uh, dissent or, or silence a voice or um, throttle a page that has, you know, controversial viewpoints or something that they say something that's politically incorrect. Um, there, it often backfires on them, right? It, what it ends up doing is it actually ends up actually amplifying the voice yeah. of whoever they were trying to silence. And that happened with us. And I, and I mentioned to him right there, I was like, look, Tucker, I wouldn't be talking to you today if they hadn't, you know, if they hadn't made these comments about us. And now I'm going to get a bunch more traffic and subscriptions and followers and everything because I'm on your show. So, and, and my voice is getting out there even even louder now. So, 
there is a sense in which um, it, it backfires on them, but I think it is very important that whoever is running a publication that's facing this type of censorship, if you're not mainstream, you know, um, progressive, politically correct thinking, um, you do run the risk of, of facing some of these problems uh, at some point, you know, having a viewpoint that's controversial. Um, and it's very important that we band together and, you know, stick up for ourselves, fight back. Um, if, if we just roll over and play dead, then they're just going to stamp us out. So it's important we fight back and it's important that our fans and followers also speak up and speak out and, and support us. And, and ours fortunately have, and they've been very loud and vocal in their support for us. So um, it's actually turned out to be a good thing for us in one sense because it's raised a lot of awareness about the problem. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some major players out there that are kind of pioneering this fight back against censorship. You've got PragerU out there with the issues they have with some of their videos being um, uh, limited and, and uh, demonetized with YouTube. And um, uh, Steven Crowder's had that problem. Um, so there's some big names out there that have filed lawsuits against Google and are fighting back against this stuff. And so it's, I, I think it's really great that there are um, conservatives, people on the right, anybody who's feeling you know, the threat of this censorship um, standing their ground and not backing down. That's absolutely critical. Yeah, well said, uh, Seth. Uh, Eddie, pros a question for you. Do you feel, as owner uh, of, of Babylonian B, uh, do you feel that mass media outlets, and, and we, can, we can round those basically to what, uh, you know, NBC, CBS, ABC, uh, Disney, uh, Viacom, CBS. Uh, I already said that. Uh, CNN. Uh, do you feel that ma uh, mass media is corrupt, in in in, uh, in in the United States, uh, and uh, if 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 so, uh, how how does that get fixed? Oh man, uh, big question. Um, I don't know how deep the corruption goes. I do know that you know you mentioned Project Veritas. They've done an excellent job, I think, of exposing some of the corruption that's going on behind the scenes. There's definitely a rotten core, and uh, and it, and we're seeing the fruit of that, right? Um, there is a tremendous amount of bias, not just in what the what these outlets are, are publishing, but also in the news that they're suppressing and choosing not to cover. Uh, and we encounter that all the time. And we actually, we have a vehicle for fighting against that. We, uh, Adam Ford, the founder of the Bee, he and I co-founded a real news site called Discern. Um, that that we don't we're not uh, producing original reporting, but what we're trying to do is kind of sift through the headlines and find news that matters to our audience. And oftentimes, you know, we're covering stories that the mainstream media isn't covering um, and, and trying to bring it to people's attention. And that's, you know, that is obviously a very big problem, that things that are newsworthy are not actually getting out there in the mainstream news. It's, it's deeply, deeply disconcerting. Um, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely some degree of corruption there. There's also just a lot of, you know, bias, confirmation bias. And a lot, a lot of these people are blind to the fact that they are, you know, completely just promoting agendas and, and, and propaganda. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, I think all of us are blind to a certain extent to the biases that we have, but journalists, you know, some of them aren't even playing at being objective anymore. And I think that that's, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal just did a piece the other day about how, maybe it was yesterday or the day before, about how the liberal media, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's past its tipping point. It's past the point of no return at this point. It's gone. They just need to embrace how biased they are, it seems. Um, and I, I think that's very unfortunate. As far as correcting it, I've always felt that these kinds of things work on a pendulum, right? And you swing too far to one side and, and, and it just becomes too outrageous and too extreme and people push back on it and it starts to swing back toward the other way. Um, that's why, you know, I, it, 
you see a Democrat in the White House for a while, and then there's a Republican, and then he gets replaced yeah. with a Democrat. You go back and forth. You know, the, the American people tend to swing from one side to the other because they're never happy, right? Um, I, I was, I, it, I'm hopeful, uh, just being optimistic, that there will be enough pressure and enough, um, if, you know, CNN's viewership. Trump is always ripping on them for their numbers and, the, and their viewership and everything. When they pander so much to their audience and they're so obviously one-sided, it's got to hurt them from a business perspective, I would think. You know, they can't get the main, they can't get as much of an audience as they want by being so biased. So it, it should, the problem should self-correct, but I don't think that it will. I think that people, I, I'm, I, I hope that it will. I don't think that it will, just because the cynical side of me uh, doesn't have a, a lot of hope in people in general. So I'm not sure. I, I don't know what the solution is to that. It's clearly a very deep problem. Um, and it's a very real problem. Uh, and you, we could cite thousands of examples of that problem. Uh, but yeah. I don't know what the solution is. So former, uh, you served 27 years in the, in the CIA. Uh, Ray McGovern joined the program a couple years ago. And uh, this is, I'm coming up on my fourth year doing this. And he said, he said, Ian, what you're doing, more people need to do. And it's basically the last, last frontier of getting people who know what they're talking about to get that heard by the masses in, 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 in the country. And basically, he's not only tearing apart the corruption in the CIA and saying that the CIA, and he would, he would hand deliver briefs on a, on a, on a daily basis to uh, George Bush Sr. in the White House, so very high, high, very high ranking. And not only mm -hmm. is, he, is he saying the CIA is totally corrupt, but he's also saying, of course, uh, the media outlet. And then this is the other issue that we're facing in regards to censorship, and, uh, and, and, and it really becomes, it becomes an infringement uh, the, the powers that are controlling, of course, uh, the, 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 the digital highway. Um, what are your, uh, what's your view set uh, as, 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 uh, as, as programs like yours, as programs like Project Veritas, as some of these, uh, even, even going back, what, 15 years, 20 years, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure, uh, uh, post 9-11 with the Alex Jones Infowars, uh, some of these smaller micro uh, journalistic approaches to reporting these facts, and basically, in my view, what you're what what these are doing is taking on these these large uh, kind of hidden uh, reins, uh, strings, puppet strings, uh, corporate puppet strings. Uh, what what does uh, what 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 does uh, 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 a Babylon B do moving forward uh, to make sure that their reporting is uh, you know, you, you, you kind of mentioned uh, a couple different tactics, but uh, what, do, what do you do to make sure that you stay uh, micro in the sense of getting viewers what they need to be receiving? Um, how do you answer that? Are you asking, like, how do, how do we continue to, to, to stay afloat even if we face censorship or we get shut down on these platforms? Is that what, is that what you're asking? That's a, yeah. Let, let, let's go with that. That's yes. That's a good response. I think he kind of already answered that, but but go with that one. Well, I mean, we we what we've, we've tried to do is diversify a little bit, right? I mean, you have um, we we want to become more independent of some of these big tech platforms. If we were to lose Facebook because they decide that we're a fake news outfit and they don't want we're misleading too many people, you know, even though that's not our intent, if they were to decide that they were going to cut us off and and kill our page. Um, you know, we need to be able to survive in that environment where we don't have that traffic. And, and to be honest with you, that would be very difficult because Facebook drives 80-something percent of the traffic that we receive on our website. It's just where people find our content and where they click through. So uh, we would lose a lot of traffic, which means we'd lose a lot of ad revenue. 
Um, we've tried to diversify. We launched a subscription platform where people can subscribe for access to premium content. They can support us. I think it's very important in today's world that uh, publishers, creators, writers, thinkers um, are more independently operating uh, yeah. on, on some of the platforms that they're building themselves so that they have that direct connection with their audience. You need to own their email addresses and their contact information. If Facebook has them as your fans and they, and they kill you, you lose connection with your, with your audience. You need to own your audience um, and you need to be supported by them directly so that in the event that you lose those big tech platforms, um, you're not sunk. So we've done, a, I think, a very good job. It was one of our, our, our primary objectives when I first took over was to make sure that we diversified not only our traffic sources, but also our revenue sources. We're not just depending on Google ad revenue. We also have subscription sure. revenue coming in. We have a store where we're selling products. We have a podcast that we're monetizing. We want to do all of those things so that we have multiple revenue streams and we can't just be, you know, cut one leg out and we're done. Um, so I think that's, you know, an intelligent way to approach it. But look, honestly, it, the, the future seems bleak if you're a pessimist and you're really cynical about, about people because if, if we keep going down this road where voices like ours are, are, are being snuffed out, people are trying to, to snuff us out, right. it can be very hard. If you're running your own platform, you need to have a web host. Someone's got to host your website. Well, what if they don't like you? What if GoDaddy doesn't like you? Then you've got problems. You need to be able to deliver email to your readers. What if MailChimp doesn't like you and they shut you off? Then you've got problems. You need to be able to charge credit cards. What if Visa doesn't like you? What if your merchant processor, Braintree, PayPal, whoever it is, what if they don't like you? They shut you down. You can't create your own merchant processing. You can't establish your own relationships directly with the banks. Right. You can't create your own bank. So you know, there's, there's always going to be an extent to which we're dependent on these other platforms, these tech platforms like the GoDaddy's, the MailChimp's, the PayPal's. Um, you're going to need those things in order to run your show, but uh, you're at their mercy. So it's, it's very concerning. There, at some point, there's going to have to be some kind of a, uh, a, a systematic uh, change uh, in the way all of this works so that you can't, you can't have people just be snuffed out and they're able to operate independently. And I think that there's a lot of people working on that problem. I know Dave Rubin's been working on that problem. Jordan Peterson's been concerned with that problem. Uh, and coming up with a solution to it. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of ideas and things being worked on in those areas. But um, you know those are those are definitely deep concerns. How do you feel about? Uh, let's take for instance uh, Dick Cheney, right? Dick Cheney uh, was a senator from Wyoming, and then he's also uh, serving as president of the Council on Foreign Affairs. But there's you know there's that video that says, oh, if my people back in Wyoming only knew, uh, you know, whereas he hid that. What do you know about the Council on Foreign Affairs? Have you looked into it in regards to uh, in regards to how that think tank uh, based? Uh, I think it's on the east side of the park uh, in New York. Uh, how how that and, and of course historically uh, how that manages uh, the media and, and and the links to it. Have you looked into the Council on Foreign Relations at all? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, it sounds like I should. Uh, I urge you to. Um, it, Let's let's talk about the, the COVID nineteen. Just frankly, uh, you're you're a Christian site. I I, I tend to not take sides uh, religiously, but that's a cornerstone of this constitution, isn't it? Is is for religious freedom, just like uh, freedom of press, and uh, and and both seem to be under fire more and more today. But uh, as a Christian, or certainly just it doesn't really matter as a Christian or not, as a human being, how do you set? How do you view? 
the lockdown, uh, these mandatory lockdowns in some places and in other uh, other places. It's you've got yesterday you've got Biden wearing a mask and uh, or two days ago uh, uh, you got Biden wearing a mask for Memorial Day and you got Trump not wearing a mask and Trump criticizing the fact that Biden's wearing a mask. Uh, how do you right. feel about that? <laughs> Well, you know, we were all told that masks were ineffective right before we were told they were mandatory and necessary, right? So, uh, it's, yeah, I, I, this, this whole idea, there's a couple of big things. This, this idea of stay home, save lives, um, stay home, stay safe, save lives, it sounds great. It's a great slogan. Um, but when you look at, you know, you see these studies coming out and they talk about these deaths of despair and, and, the, and the, the poverty, the suffering. Um, the starvation, the alcoholism, the you know the drug abuse, the suicide rates increasing, the economic the economy you know just collapsing. Um, when you look at the negative effects of staying home and locking down all these people who aren't sick and really aren't even at high risk, um, there's, there's there's a huge 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 downside there. And so um, this idea that it's just that's the safe play, I think, was never true, and a lot of people saw that right from the beginning. That there's nothing safe about doing that. It's extremely dangerous to lock down that way. Um, I think that the the response could have been um, more rational and proportional to the threat. You know, you've got obviously the the percentage of deaths in nursing homes is just insane. You, obviously, you have a, a a high risk subset of the population that needs to be insulated from this virus or else they are have a, a very good probability of dying. But that's not the general population. The general population doesn't face that same kind of risk. In fact, it's extremely low risk for most people who are young, healthy, have, have you know, not compromised yeah. immune systems, et cetera. So having, there, was, there could have been some kind of compromise with social distancing, mask wearing if you want, you know, whatever. But this idea of the lockdown and everybody stay home to stay safe it wasn't safe. Um, it, you know, it, I don't think it was a, a prudent response to what we were dealing with. And, and I realized, you know, it, ca it came from high levels and experts, but these experts have been contradicting themselves every 10 minutes. None of the experts know anything. So uh, it's been very frustrating to be on the sidelines of this watching, seeing it's had impact on our business. It's had impact on yeah. countless other businesses. And it's just a, a real tragedy that, that, that with how it, I feel like it's been mishandled, honestly, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's there's huge, huge, huge downsides to the steps we took with the lockdown. Yeah, appreciate appreciate your comment and your your view on that. Miriam Hennon will be joining us in a couple of weeks. For she's been on the program before. She's uh, L.A. based, and she's actually got some. She's going to be discussing Dr. Fauci, uh, Dr. Michael Hall out of Miami. Beach will be joining us again. He has a lawsuit against Dr. Fauci that goes back to the Zika days uh, about four years ago now in Miami. And this is why this program incepted. So that'll be a discussion uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, with that said, uh, Seth, let, let me just insert this. And it's not speculation. It's fact. And, and I gave Neil the same the same thing. Uh, Microsoft. So you're looking. You're looking at a. Uh, you're looking at a, 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 a deterioration. Deterioration of the middle class in, in in this country. And it's it's you know homelessness is rampant in L.A. and in San Francisco. These larger cities, New York. It's really disgusting how how this country, so wealthy and powerful, has been unable to. Uh, I mean, Red Cross and whatnot. But but it seems like it's a problem. And it's out of control and becoming more and more so in in in, in recent years. And certainly now with 30 plus uh, unemployed claim, unemployment claims. We're looking at you know some 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 people are saying this will this will possibly put 
uh, yeah, the Great Depression to 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 just a, a whole new description. You know, the nineteen what was it nineteen twenty nine the Great Depression. We are looking at perhaps the next six to 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 six months to a year. The, the there is no bailout for you. Can't make up for three to four months of like you're saying lost time at work because of this lockdown. You've got in, in one one end you can look at it and say it's quite possibly it's quite possibly a an attack. An attack on the American middle class, uh, and, and 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 so then, if you insert, and I'll insert this and see if you you have any comments and any opinions on this, you insert a Microsoft patent. This is public knowledge for Google. You can type it in the Google search engine. It's a it's a patent published uh, three or four months ago, uh, and it is a cryptocurrency patent to actually engine uh, uh, to actually mine make money off of this uh, the cryptocurrency software, the crypto cryptocurrency software off of microchipped human beings. I mean, when I first and so, and so, so when I uh, Kevin Shipp is a former CIA agent. And he was a member on my pro, uh, he was a member on this program uh, a few months ago. He was the first that I saw uh, uh, indirectly talk about that. It, it would actually somebody else had, had brought that up, and the more, more I looked into it, everything I could <laughs> you got fake news and everything I could see was that this is legitimate. It just blows me away. How can you actually engineer? Uh, I'm not interested in the how, really. I, I, I'm literally more in the ethical how. How can you engineer a cryptocurrency that runs off of microchipped human beings? So I guess my question to you, Seth, I asked you how you feel about the lockdown. Uh, how do you feel about being microchipped? I mean, if that were, I mean, I'm serious, like, like we laugh about it, but yeah, I mean, you, know, you got Bill Gates. And by the way, Seth, by the way, so, uh, uh, Sarah uh, Cunial, I think is her name, uh, the Italian parliament, parliament is actually, uh, uh, she has a, a, a lawsuit. She's actually trying to sue Bill Gates for, um, for crimes against humanity. Hey, what are your thoughts on that? Just as we're, as we're taking into consideration uh, the fact that Americans are out of work, they haven't been working, we've got you know, these unemployment claims that rival that of the Great Depression. Uh, your base is taking a hit, everybody's busy. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you, you, the government, these politicians that are hungry for power, and the government is always looking to expand, right? So um, they see these, they well see said. crises well like that. They never want to let this crisis, a crisis, go to waste, and they even use that terminology. They even say that we don't want to let the crisis go to waste. Um, and so they, uh, they, they take these actions that erode freedom and uh, invade privacy, and uh, and they expect you to just, you know, get in line and, and do as you're told. Um, and y you end up in this, you end up in this debate with your, your fellow citizens right. talking about how you have, you have a choice, you know, you can either be free or you can be safe. Which one is it? And it's, you know, having to choose between freedom and safety, you know, it's, this is just, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a crazy time to be alive. I'll tell you that. But, um, I am a big advocate for personal freedom and limited government. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I would, I would argue that right now, this you know, this whole idea of these lockdowns or whatever—you want to wear a mask, yeah. wear a mask. If you if you don't, don't. If you think it's too dangerous to leave your home, stay in your home. If you think it's not, go out. You know, we should have that freedom um, to have it dictated to us what we should do and how we should be, uh, you know, behaving. We we can't, we make our own risk assessments as free individuals. We need to be able to do that. We need to be free to do that. Uh, it worries me a lot when the government tries to get too involved in what we're we're doing and and, and dictate to us and, and monitor us and try to trace us on our phones and yeah and, uh, and you know all of that. I, I just think it's I think it's terrifying. So there needs to be there's there needs to be a lot more pushback. But people when people get scared, you know they look to the government. Fear, those, right? Yeah, yeah. Fear is what drives all of that, right? Fear is what makes us all act like sheep, where we can be easily herded. And uh, and I think that. 
The people, the people that talk back against that and push back against that always seem callous and careless because, oh, well, you want to kill grandma or, you know, you, you don't care about yeah. the elderly. Or whatever. No, it, it's not about that. It's, it, you, you're, you're just blind. You don't see what, what the, what the uh, real ramifications and implications are here and where this is going. Um, so uh, I, I have a, a lot of concerns about that, too. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a limited government and a, a personal responsibility, personal freedom guy and uh and so you know that that kind of stuff really troubles me it really does yeah that's wonderfully said and 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 we're going to wind down here with you uh because i know your your time your time is limited what is uh, what's next for uh babylon b seth uh what can what can listeners expect uh in the future for babylon b well, you know, we're continuing to grow. We're continuing to do new things, new platforms. We just recently, you know, we got our podcast now. We're doing video with that. We're looking at creating video ourselves, starting our own channel where maybe we'll do some, um, you know, satirical news segments with a with a with a fake news anchor and get into some some actual video production. Um, that's going to be an exciting thing down the road. We're about to publish a new best of book, like a coffee table book with some of our best articles including all the ones that have been fact-checked by Snopes and have been on <laughs> the center of all this controversy. Um, so, I don't know, big things on the horizon, I hope, so long as we don't get censored and shut up too soon. But, you know, we're not going to go away quietly into the night. I assure you we'll fight back if that happens. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Dillon, uh, Babylon B, the owner, current owner of BabylonB.com. Check him out. Thanks for joining, Seth. We look forward to inviting you back on the program. Thanks so much. Bye. Babylon B is uh, an, an exceptional look. If you again, regardless, uh, regardless, folks, of your that was the uh, video video stand. Um, regardless of your religious stance, regardless of your political stance. And this is an international issue. I speak about it in the United States because that's where I reside. Okay, it's, uh, I feel like Americans need to do, can do, and should do something about this. And regardless of where you are in the world, if, like Seth said, if your government has too much power over you, you're not committing any crime, you're not hurting anybody, the smaller the government, the better, right? It gives you more freedoms. You're a law-abiding citizen. You do good to your fellow being. You don't want a big government, right? So maybe you do. But certainly, Seth Dillon, the Babylon Bee, uh, do not. Um, and I would encourage, uh, I would encourage any civilization to fight for the smallest amount of government they can possibly have. Look, I mean, I mean, there, there is many flaws in the United States government, right? Many, many flaws, and it's under attack like it's never been. Uh, talking about corruption and. In the media, massive amount of corruption in, in the government. Um, whether that's for political gains or economic gains, 
that's always disputed. But talking about, for instance, the Council on Foreign Affairs. Council on Foreign Affairs is a Rockefeller-founded think tank. I believe it was a result of World War... I want to say two, but I believe it was World War One. Maybe two. Um, on a parallel with the Trilateral Commission. Likely, if you're listening to me, you possibly never even heard of the Trilateral Commission. Start with going to iantrottier.com. I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R.com. Click on the articles link and browse the articles. Okay, I'll, I'll do it for you right now because, because what you'll find listed there are a wide range of publications, not only addressing the United States, but addressing humanity, historically, humanity's fight for the same thing we're fighting for today. Freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. These are, these are the fundamental cornerstones of the U.S. society, as far as I see it. Uh, I don't feel like censorship, for instance, should have any part of media. But then, like, I don't know what the legal definition is, but then you're getting into debate of, well, is social media considered media per, write, per written in the U.S. Constitution? I don't know what legal definitions look like there, but iantrache.com, click on the articles link, and you're going to find, and these are all PDF-free, accessible. You don't have to pay for any of these. And you'll find basically the nexus of where I began doing what I do. And that started with a former Stanford Hoover fellow, philosophical doctor, Anthony Sutton, and they just they give you a list. Just give you a list of what you'll find when you go to that website. Well, first off, you're going to find his 1972 testimonial given at the Republican Subcommittee Number 7, Miami Beach, 1972 again, August 15th. So this is what caught my interest. Is that he returned to Palo Alto and he was reprimanded for his speech. He was told that if he ever divulged that information, as being on salary, if you will, from Stanford, that he would lose his, 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 his job. So, uh, understanding timeline, a year later, within a year or so, he walked away. And he began publishing independently. And he began using a publishing house called Trying Day, which just so happens to be the same publisher that will be releasing Freedom Reserved, No More Lies, authored by myself. Coming your way July 23rd. Release pushed back because of this, I do believe, because of the coronavirus issue, COVID-19. But going back to Dr. Sutton, you will find Western technology and Soviet economic development, Western technology, that would be the United States, like airplanes, Telephone, right? 
Alexander Graham Bell, Scottish born, but do you believe he invented the telephone as we know it in Boston? That is my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. Grab me an email. You're talking about what kind of contributions have Americans made? The Wright brothers, the airplane. What kind of contributions have Americans given to global civilization? There are plenty. But yes, Western technology, those two technologies being as an example. And you'll find links to both in Dr. Sutton's book. And Soviet economic development. There's a link between technology and Soviet economic development? Oh, absolutely there is. And that is what Dr. Sutton argues in his books. Is not only did technology, Western technology, build up the Soviet Union, which we now know as Russia, has become a country known as Russia, but they purposely did it. Who's they? The West. Uh, okay. Uh, going on. Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. Two faces of George Bush. How the order... Order. How the order... Banking order? Controls education. The Federal Reserve Conspiracy. Again, this is written by Dr. Anthony Sutton, Stanford Hooper Fellow. Former. America's Secret Establishment. The best money... Excuse me, the best enemy money can buy. And he's talking about, again, Soviet Union. So, inserting Hegelian dialectic, which is a German philosophical approach to controlling both sides of a conflict, practiced widely in international banking, for instance, why did the United States, and why are they still there, have troops in Afghanistan? Is it to implement democracy? Why were, why were, why were the U.S. Army, why, why was the U.S. military in Vietnam? Was it, was it to, to do that, to instill democracy? Or was it simply to control natural resources? Was it to control the rubber trade, and the manufacturing thereof in that country. Well, who started that war? The French. One of the largest tire manufacturers, Michelin, a French company. So looking at two perspectives to any conflict, and applying a Hegelian dialectic, which is controlling both sides of an opposite, to what? Well, fund both sides of an opposite to do what? To control the outcome. To control the nature of the outcome. And this happens to be, arguably, a philosophy, again, incepted in Germany, a philosophical, a, philosoph a philosophical approach to a fraternal organization out of Yale, known widely as the School of Bunds, that the Bushes and the Rockefellers are part of. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Or is there? So this is where there could be an issue with it. Insert the Federal Reserve into a democracy. Well, what is the Federal Reserve? It's not federal. It is a reserve, but it's a reserve of wealth 
that the public does not own. So it's not found in the U.S. Treasury and not represented by a democracy. Maybe to its shareholders. Don't know how they vote. But the Federal Reserve is a central bank. And Alexander Hamilton did build his first U.S. bank based off of large elements of the central bank. I don't know too much, but I do know this, which is interesting. And this is documented, and you can find that document on a link from a link on my website, intratrade.com. George Washington, Captain of Industry, the Bank of England, Stock, the Bank of the United States, written by lawyer Eugene E. Pressing, 1882. I think that may have been 1920 that that was published. What that basically says is that, yes, George Washington knowingly owned shares of the Bank of England. George Washington knowingly owned shares in the Bank of England during the American Revolution. So here's the caveat. Here's what may be of interest. And again, this is, this is also documented by a Harvard research, a professor out of Harvard. Furthermore, furthermore, read your quote. George Washington, for one, this is a direct quote. George Washington, for one, owned shares of the Bank of England during the Revolutionary War, and when the war was over, collected his accumulated dividends. This was said by former chairman of the Federal Reserve in 1951 to a, to a, to a group in Alabama, one Thomas McCabe. I recognize that last name. Okay, so if you're then inserting the Bank of England in those early days of the foundation of the Republic, then think about this. And this is how I opened up my previous show with communications manager Neil McCabe of Project Veritas. The Bank of England resides in the City of London, otherwise known as the Corporation of London. It is not what you think of as being the City of London. The City of London is next to Westminster. It's its own neighborhood. Everything else that you know as London is the metropolitan area of London. It has its own mayor. But the City of London, otherwise known as the Corporation of London, is... Sovereign to the UK. It's not part of England. But it does bear the name of the Bank of England. Parliament makes no decisions. Has no governing authority of the city of, over the city of London. And like the Bank of England, this Federal Reserve has nothing to do with the United States. It's not a federal agency. That's fact. That's a, it's a private central bank. And former guest on this program, a little over a month ago, Ronan Palin, economics professor in London, metropolitan area of London, 
said, Ian, it's a Roman banking mechanism still existent today, 2020. And it predates William the Conqueror by about a thousand years, to my understanding. William the Conqueror was unable to conquer it. So yeah, you start getting into some of these old historical, centuries old banking, international banking arms and mechanisms. And then of course you're going into trying to define a deep state. But if there's corruption in a democracy, perhaps that corruption is rooted by the fact that it's run by a non-democratic banking system. Though it has a federal name in appearance, but it's not. It has nothing to do with the republic, has nothing to do with the democratic values that the government practices. It's a private, non-democratic, non-republic banking organization. And folks, this has been another discussion of truth. And I thank you for tuning in. Take no sides politically. It's a waste of your time as far as I'm concerned. And uh, if you're religious, practice your religion. What makes you happy? But most importantly, be American and fight for the values and freedoms that you still have. Because they are being stripped away from you, regardless of what party you may side with politically. That's a trap. That is simply a trap. What's not a trap? What's not a trap is the U.S. Constitution. And doing everything you can in your power to hold on to those values. My opinion, follow me on uh, Instagram, follow me on Twitter. It's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. And you can find me right here next Wednesday. And I believe I'll start at the 4 o'clock hour with Bandy Lee. Until then, folks, be awesome.